When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Great to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. We've got lots of great games to get into. Who would have thought Bengals-Ravens is one of the games of the weekend? But it's the 4-2 and two Bengals who are looking to uh, make an impact here against the Ravens. You also have the Chiefs and the Titans as KC hopes that they're back on the winning track. Broncos and Browns among the other games that we are looking at. Now, the major story right now is involving Deshaun Watson. This is the, the whole, she loves me, she loves me not, like picking rose petals off of flowers as a kid. You know, is he going to stay in Houston? Is he not? What's going to happen with these pending cases? Well, the bottom line is this. The story that we're hearing now from a guy who's pretty plugged in, uh, that would obviously be John McClain, who uh, knows these things. He uh, covers the Houston Chronicle. Long-awaited Texans-Dolphins transaction could be happening this week. Now, the Texans also spoken to the Eagles and the Panthers about a trade. Makes total sense for me, Mike. The Eagles want in because the more we see of Jalen Hurts, the more we know he is not going to be a future star quarterback. The Panthers were unbeaten, but now the team's slumping. David Tepper might be upset. He wants a franchise quarterback. Okay, maybe we're back in. How about the Broncos? They should be thinking about it considering the current uh, performance of their quarterbacks. But ultimately, I feel like it's Miami because Stephen Ross all along has said he wants him. He's the owner. What owners want, they'll get. He has to give up a boatload. Fine. But as you and I have also discussed, two his value has gone down. So a lot to disseminate here. What do you think about Deshaun going to Miami? Well, I, I get the sense, and this is just from talking to people in the league, that, that Houston is going to make this move. I mean, th- I think it's a fait accompli when they're going to make the trade. You know, and it, it's not if, it's when. I think that's where we are. I think there's no doubt about that. Now, Deshaun holds the cards because... Obviously, he's sitting back making ten million a year doing nothing. You know, he's basically. Can you? Deshaun is no different than all those guys on the no-show jobs at the Sopranos. Remember, they're all sitting around in those those shitty beach chairs. You know, like, do you ever? How do those beach chairs ever get sold? Like those, you know, those beach chairs that have like the like they look like the cheapest beach chairs. They're high up. Your grandmother, who's ninety, used to sit in them. You know, like, how who buys them anymore, right? And they're all sitting on those five beach chairs around there. That's Deshaun Watson. He's in one of those groups there. You know, he's in a no-show job, right? And, and and make it ten million a year doesn't have to do shit and so you know there we are and, and so they got to do something right they're going to have to make a move and he's got the he's got the final say look I want to go to Miami or I want to go to Carolina I'm not sold that he wants to go to Miami I know it's a tax free state so it certainly would help him I do know all these reports I do know Stephen Ross who said this summer when they opened up their new facility said he expects to win a Super Bowl sooner rather than later. To me, that told me he's all in on making a decision on Tua, you know, that they're not going to hide behind a bad draft pick and kid themselves. Like, they're going to be honest about it. So, you know, I think they're in play. Do I think Carolina would be back in play? You know, I I could see it. I mean, the way Sam Darnold's played the last couple weeks, I could see that. I'm not sure it is, but I could see it. 
And then, you know, I mean, I don't know about Denver. I mean, look, Denver, I think I've misevaluated Denver's team. They're not as good on defense. The Raiders move the ball on them pretty effortlessly. Their defensive front, to me, is the one area I think was disappointing. I mean, they blocked Von Buck. Parker blocked Von Miller last week. He wasn't a factor in the game. You know, now I know he says he's going to get two sacks tonight against the Browns, but Denver's defensive front couldn't control the offensive line of the Raiders, which I thought they needed to do to win that game. So, but Denver needs a quarterback badly. I mean, they need so, so I, I could see them being in it. But I think, I clearly think that this is all about where Deshaun wants to go. And it sounds like, unlike the Ben Simmons trade, which nobody seems to want to know, uh, nobody really wants Simmons. I do think teams want Watson, and I think they can get significant value for him. And, and again, it's too hard to speculate, Mike. We have no idea what the league might do, all these pending cases against some sexual harassment, et cetera. But you could see a situation in which, you know, one of these teams is going to sell the farm, right? Three first-round picks, four first-round picks, other players in your roster. And all of a sudden, the league could say, hey, he's suspended until 2022. All these teams are willing to take that risk because of the fact he is a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean, let's not confuse this now. These are teams that are desperate. I mean, you know, Miami's one in five, you know, and 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 you could say, well, Tua played really good last week. Well, I think they kind of know who Tua is. I think they've done a good job of understanding Tua's going to throw the ball in the flat. He's going to throw curls. He's going to throw the intermediate passing game, but there's really nothing. And if he gets pressure and he has to try to buy time, he's never going to be a top 10 quarterback. I mean, that's the reality. That's, that's just the cold-hearted reality. He's never going to be a top 10 quarterback in the league. And so, therefore, if you have a chance to get a guy who is a top five quarterback, maybe you should do it. I think the fundamental question is, can they trade Tua for a lot of capital? Can they get a one out of Washington? There's a report Washington's interested. You know, I think what, what, what has to happen here, if you're a team right now, you've got to go walk into your draft room. You got to go to your draft board and you got to say, okay, here are the five quarterbacks who are available in the draft. Sam Howe, you know, uh, whoever else it is, you know, we thought it was going to be Spencer Rattler, whomever the quarterbacks are, right? We got them graded. Here's where their grades are. And then how does Tua compare to them? Tua, after two years, compared to this guy, you know, and what is it going to cost to get Tua? You know, is Miami going to ask for a one? Do they want a one and something else? He's the fifth pick in the draft, you know, but there's enough tape on him to say he's really not worth the top five. Is he worth a pick in the 20s? Perhaps. I don't know. I wouldn't pay it, but perhaps somebody would. I think that's the conversation. And and one thing one thing, one in five does for you, two and four do for you, it get, it puts cold water on your face. You have a sense of reality. You no longer can hide behind your false narrative. Well, we're really good at this position or we're really good. Your one loss, when you're one in five, you can't deny it. You got to suck it up and say, okay, this is what we are. We're no good. We misevaluated our team. Remember, it always comes down to design then production. Our design was bad. Our production's bad. If our design's good and our production's bad, you can tell that. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, you can see that in game. We're not winning close games or, or something's going on. But like Miami, where your design's bad and your production's bad, you're one and five. Washington, your design's bad, your production's bad, you're two and four. That creates desperation. It does. And that's why one of these teams is going to bite. And like you said, they're going to get an incredible quarterback and hopefully they'll be able to turn around their team. Speaking of quarterbacks, Cam Newton wants a shot at continuing his NFL career. He said that he's now vaccinated. This was a big deal, obviously, as we all know, didn't want to do it. 
Uh, memory mystery practices with the Patriots termed a misunderstanding COVID-19 protocol. Bill Belichick later said Newton's vaccination status did not factor into the decision to release the quarterback. Newton said in early September the Patriots released him because he was going to be a distraction. But now he's saying, hell yeah, I want to play football. I still get that urge to go out and perform and do something that I've been doing since I was seven years old. So to that end, he got vaccinated. What do you think, Mike? How about the Seahawks as an option with Russell Wilson on the IR? You know, I mean... Look, I don't think it's an issue. The vaccination certainly is concerning, but I think more concerning about Cam is can he actually throw the football? Have these injuries debilitated his career so much that, you know, it's going to be really challenging? And can he really throw the ball and make plays? I mean, we know he can still run it. Now, he's not the same player he once was running the football, even though last year he ran it effectively. You know, he doesn't have the same quickness. He doesn't have the same burst. Uh, is he better than, is he better than, than uh, than Geno Smith, I, you know, I, I I think he probably is overall. But is he a better thrower of the football than Geno? I don't think so. I mean, look, Geno did a nice job. He you know he fumbled the game. He fumbled the ball in the pocket. I mean, it happens. We saw Cam Newton have two fumbles in games last year that cost the Patriots. So you know, for them to bring Cam in now and then try to get him up to speed when we know Russell Wilson is going to be back in three weeks from now. It almost seems like a waste of time. Now, they just claimed Jacob Eason, the former Washington quarterback who the Colts had, and and the Colts basically said, no, we're not going anywhere. And the Colts, I think this is a decision you're seeing around the league more often than not, is these guys that are RPO quarterbacks, you can't change them when they can't throw with anticipation. And to me, Eason, when you watched him this summer, had no anticipation. He couldn't throw the ball. Sam Ellinger, the kid they drafted in the fifth round, he he doesn't have the talent that Eason had, but he has that innate instinct that his mama gave him when she lifted him from the crib that he can throw with anticipation, right? All these guys, the the Dwayne Haskins, the Mason Rudolphs, the the you know the, the 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 Josh Dobbs, all these guys that played in college and had numbers, they don't have that anticipation. And and that's a real issue. And I think that's finally people get to the point where, okay, we know we can't change that. Like we know we can't. Jacoby Brissett, we can't change his lack of of anticipation. It just you can run play action, you can do all the things you want for him, but at the end of the day, the ceiling is a fifty-nine player. It's the best he's gonna be. And I think that's where they are with with in Pittsburgh, that's where they are with Rudolph. And I get the sense that that's where the Colts were with Eason. That's the story when it comes to quarterbacks. Let's get into some games. The Bengals and the Ravens. The Ravens right now are minus six. Sammy Watkins is questionable. Ronnie Stanley's in the IR. Baltimore, it's not just Lamar Jackson. It's an entire running game. They've got three guys that can run the ball with abandon. And as you said last week on the shuffle, Mike, it's because of Lamar. It's because of his talent and playmaking ability that they're able to run the ball so well. So Cincinnati's defense, I think that's the first thing here, right? How do you stop the running game of the Ravens? I think that's going to be the biggest challenge, right? You know, and and look, the one thing I think that when you look at the team, when you look at, at at Cincinnati and you break them down, I mean, you know, for all the love that Jamar Chase gets and he deserves it, he's played really well. Uh, the key to their success this re- the season, the, the reason they've won four games and, and have only lost two is really has been their ability to play great defense and their ability to really kind of hang in there. I mean, when you break down their team, they, they've done such a good job. Their defensive rank is eighth overall. Their special teams rank, you know, typically this is where Cincinnati loses because they, they're 15th overall in the league in the kicking game, right? So they're, they're able to, to play really well. And then offensively, 
you know, offensively is actually where they're least effective because of all the sacks they give up. So this is two, two of the three phases. The Bengals have played really well so far this year. Do I think it can continue? We, uh, we shall see. I think it's going to be a challenge on the road. I, I think it's going to be a challenge because I think what the Ravens will do to them is they will pressure. They're going to double chase. They're going to say, Tyler Board, you beat us. They're going to say, T. Higgins, you beat us. They're going to take away chase, take away the dig ball. They're going to make sure they disrupt his timing, much like they did with Keenan Allen last week. And then they're going to attack the protections of the Bengals. They're going to attack the protections. I mean, last week they attacked the protections of the Chargers. They did a really good job of getting home free guys. Anytime you watch a tape, uh, the way to really understand if a defensive coordinator knows protections is when he gets guys free. When he bring when when a guy comes free, and you see him come free, then that's the basically what that is equivalent to is an offensive coach calling a successful deep throw. That you know it's the right coverage, the right call against everything, and 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 often we don't ever talk about that on the television, but that's what happens. And Martindale does a really good job of that. If Martindale can understand your protections and breakdown, like when you watch Jacksonville play Miami the other night on Thursday night over in London on Sunday morning on London, you know they, the Jacksonville was just blitzing to blitz that like they were getting no one home free, you know, and and. Miami was able to protect it and knew what it was coming and they could adjust it out. Whereas when you watch Baltimore play the Chargers, they were getting guys home free because they attacked the protections. I think that's really, to me, the cause of the game. My numbers in this game have it as a really close game. However, that being said, I, I, I don't know if I could take it because I worry that the Cincinnati, if they get behind in this game and they have to throw it all the time, Burrow will get hurt and he'll turn the ball over. So that that's why I, I I stay away from really making the call. If I had if I leaned anywhere, I would lean against my numbers in this game, and I would take the Ravens and lay the points. See what uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase can do. Joe Mixon as well in the backfield. They can hang with that Baltimore offense. So far, again, a surprising four and two start right now in the AFC North. If they could pull off a win against Baltimore, that would really get people respecting Cincinnati. Meantime, the Chiefs and the Titans. The Chiefs are favored minus five and a half. And you say, okay, the Chiefs got back on track. Well, not necessarily. The first half, it was a slugfest with Washington. They pulled away late. As you said previously, Mike, Tyreek Hill is so critical for this team. But I just, every time I look at them, I go, what about their defense? Like, can the defense hang in there against the Titans on the road? That's my first question. I mean, the way they played that game the other night is exactly how I think you have to play it. They did a they did a great job. They protected the football. You know they were able to you know run it. They, they, they even though they didn't have the ball as often as they needed it to, they were still able to kind of they got guys home free on their blitzes. You know I mean Tennessee's tenth in the National Football League defensively. No, excuse me, they're nineteenth in, in the National Football League in terms of getting pressure on the opposing quarterback. So they're actually getting some pressure. You know and they're thirteenth in the red zone. So they if they get you get down to the red zone. They're really able, they're able to make some plays down there. So, uh, I mean, this is going to be, to me, it's got to be a game where Tennessee controls the ball. It's got to be a 35-32 game. I think it's a field goal game. I think the lines, for a home team to get five points, you almost have to take it. My numbers say this should be about a, about a three-point game, right at three points, Kansas City favorite. See, Kansas City, in my numbers, are not very good because when you look at Kansas City, their defensive numbers are so bad that their team numbers are horrible. I mean, their team numbers are not very good at all. And so, you know, and their their power rankings are way down. And and that's why I think there's such a disparity. Now, last week, you know, Washington versus 
versus Kansas City, my number said take Washington. But as you know, AD, there's no way I'm taking Jack Del Rio against Andy Reid. This game, Mike Vrabel against Andy Reid, to me, five and a half is a lot of points. I think I lean towards taking Tennessee. And uh, honestly, back-to-back wins over Buffalo and KC, maybe all of a sudden the Titans will make a little noise here, right? Still not totally sold on them, but I hear you as far as looking at their coaches and looking at the strategy in terms of making that decision. When we come back, the Bears are traveling down to Tampa to face Brady and the defending champions. The Raiders, who had a huge win without John Gruden, they're hosting the struggling Eagles. And now the Broncos are riding in the dog pound. They're going to try to take down the Browns tonight. More previews here on the GM Shuffle. Don't go anywhere. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds, and so much more. As the first round continues on, you can bet sides, totals, player props, everything at your disposal over on DraftKings. All you have to do, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SHUFFLE. New customers bet 5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SHUFFLE only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, a couple of 500 teams right now. The Broncos, the brand's taking place tonight. So for Denver, we've been saying this all along. If they only get some good quarterbacking play, by the way, Teddy Bridgewater is questionable with a foot. Cleveland's got lots of injuries. Jadevian Clowney's questionable. Odell Beckham, Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield, although he's likely to play. Kareem Hunt as well. Big difference here, Mike. The team that goes four and three versus three and four. We're a third of the way here through the season. I think it's the Browns at home. What do you think? They're minus three and a half, by the way. You, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, 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 you know, first of all, I don't know who's going to play running back for the Browns. I mean, there's no Kareem Hunt. Chubb's out. Right. So where are they getting their power in the run game? You know, and then Case Keenum's going to start at quarterback. You know, I, I think it's a hard game for Cleveland. I mean, d- the injuries have really taken a toll on their team. You know, you got Case Keenum at quarterback. They're going to have to sign a quarterback to be a, the backup quarterback. No Chubb, no, no, uh, no, uh, the cream hunt. John Kelly's the kid that used to be in Tennessee at the Chargers. They're going to bring him in the Tennessee running back. You know, that he was at the University of Tennessee. They just got him. He was on their practice squad. They just activated him. We'll probably see a lot of him tonight. I mean, I don't know who else they're going to run. You know, Felton is more of a nickelback. So, and then Willis is going to try to play tonight, their left tackle. But I don't know. I mean, to me, I think after this game, if I were Cleveland, I, I think I would get, I think to me, if somebody would take Odell Beckham off my hands, and I don't know if anybody would. I don't think anybody, you know, Odell Beckham's got this great rep. It's that's that you have to go back to 2017 when he earned that rep. But I mean, to me, I think he he hurts their team more than helps them. I think he hurts their team more than helps them. He doesn't give them anything. When they get Landry back, Landry's a better possession receiver than Beckham is. You're better off playing Peoples Jones. You're better off playing Higgins. You're better off playing Schwartz. Dump the salary. Dump the salary. Get him out of there. 
I, I think it really has affected the team. And it's funny, AD, I think you could have Beckham. I think they'll trade Beckham, and I don't think it'll take a lot to get him. I think they're trying to dump the salary. There's no doubt about that. But I would say this, you know, and then Jabril Peppers, the Giants are trying to dump his salary. You know, it's it's interesting how both teams in that trade are going to dump the guys that they traded for. Peppers is a lot like we talked about last week. We talk about the uh, the safeties that have to play in the box, the safeties that are basically linebackers, Jabal Adams. You know, you're paying him 17 million. You drive to the stadium. You don't even feel his presence in the game, even though, you know, he'll tell you how great he is, you know, and then same thing with Peppers. Peppers at Michigan, you know, he had to play linebacker. He got to bring him on every play. Once the defense declares that their guy can't cover and they have to bring him on every play, the offense is going to eat him up. So I, I think you'll see some of these salary dumps going on here at the trade deadline. It doesn't happen until November 7th, but I definitely would get rid of Beckham. I think they'll get rid of Peppers. I mean, if you're the Giants, why wouldn't you? If you lose this week to Carolina, wouldn't you just dump all your high-priced guys? You're going nowhere. You might as well get a high draft pick. Exactly. Rather than waiting until everyone else does it, it's almost like beating, like, you know, rather than waiting for Black Friday, let's just go ahead and get the sale right now. Why do I have to wait until uh, the day after Thanksgiving? You already know which way this thing is headed. And to your point with the running game, Mike, with and without Nick Chubb, the Browns are demonstrably different. When they have him, they're 12 and 5. They've, they've outscored their opponents at 27 and a half points per game, 172 rushing yards per game. Without him, this is going back to 2020. They're 2 and 3. They only average 19 points per game and 91 rushing yards per game. Add to that, their defense has now allowed 35 or more in two straight games. So uh, the Broncos, I mean, listen, I know Case Keenum is not striking fear in the hearts. Him and Stefanski back in the day, of course, they're going to be reunited here opposing each other. But there's definitely legitimate concerns for Cleveland, like you said. No doubt. And I mean, defensively is where they disappointed me last week. I mean, you know, they couldn't stop. They couldn't stop Arizona. They couldn't cover them. They couldn't stop them, and all, and they couldn't really rush the passer and create problems. I think that's been the most concerning thing about the Browns the last two weeks is their inability defensively. Now, Teddy, you know the the the, the Broncos. I think the Broncos' offensive line, Garrett Bowles, hasn't played well all season. I don't know why, but he was playing better last year. He hasn't played well all season this year. The 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 Broncos have been really besieged with injuries in their offensive line. Their linebacking core, you know, secondary. Kyle Fuller didn't play well two weeks ago. Last week, Parker got toasted. So, I mean, this is a big game for Nick, for Vic Fangio. They can't lose, they can't get out of it. And the Browns, it's a big game for them. I mean, look, it, here's the funny thing tonight. If Case Keenum plays well, say they win the game and Case Keenum plays well and puts up Baker Mayfield like numbers, not as good, but similar. What does that tell you about what's going to happen with May- Mayfield's contract? Because he's going to still want his $45 million. His agent's not going to reduce it, and it's going to prove the point that, yeah, he's a good player, Mayfield's a good player, but do we really want to pay him $40 million? Exactly, and that's where it's interesting being good and great and being worth all that money, which Baker doesn't appear to be so. Meantime, the Eagles and the Raiders. Raiders had a huge win. After all the John Gruden mess, they move on. They get a victory. They're interim coach. The Eagles, meantime, they're two and four. Let's take a shot at Nick Sirianni, here, Mike. We've been talking about this for years now with Doug Peterson as far as the balancing running and passing. Eagles running backs are averaging 13 carries a game this season. By the way, that's actually higher than I thought it was. They're averaging 13 carries a game this season. That would be the fewest in the NFL since 2000. Can you first explain to me why when you have Miles Sanders, you don't utilize him, whether it's Peterson or Sirianni, they just don't like running the ball in Philadelphia? Well, I think partly, too, is they're an RPO team, right? So the RPO is run-pass option. So if the quarterback sees that they're playing the run, he pulls it and he throws the pass. So there may be runs called that never get called. 
You know, there may be runs called that just don't don't happen. They're they're never under center. They never try to run anything. They don't mix it up. It's all it's Oklahoma's offense, AD. And the more people run Oklahoma's offense, we talked about this earlier. Anticipation throws. Hertz doesn't throw the ball with great anticipation. Just a fact. You know, he's got to see it. I mean, Hertz would be better off under center, play action pass, separate the defense, throw the ball here, get under center, run boots, throw the ball here. But when you go strictly RRPO, you know, you're basically, you're at the mercy of him reading it out and the, and the decision-making is all in his hands. So, you know, and and you can bitch all you want. I mean, the Eagles believe this wholeheartedly. I mean, they believe the organization carries the coach, not the head coach carries the organization. So they want to throw the ball every play and they want to put the ball in their quarterback's hands. The problem is they don't have an elite quarterback. They have a good quarterback. They need, they need the rest of the offense to help it, and they're not ready to do that. Now, if they get Lane Johnson back, that'll help the right side of their offensive line tremendously. And defensively, like they haven't, they haven't been able to dominate with their defensive front like they need to. They're going to need to dominate. They, they couldn't get near Tom Brady. But if, if Hargrave and Cox can get pressure on Carr inside and, and hit him and disrupt him, and creates some and force the timing of the Raider offense to get off balance. They'll have a chance to win the game. My numbers say it's a pick 'em game. Uh, so you know, if you get three and a half, and you're and you're an e, you get three and a half, you get that hook and the Eagles. I think it's a good play. Raiders right now third ranked passing offense. Derek Carr is on pace for 5,500 passing yards this season. It would actually break the NFL record. And to your point about the defense, Philly's strength is up front, but their secondary is susceptible. They've allowed 11 completions of 20 or more yards this season. Las Vegas leads the NFL 32 completions of 20 or more yards. So look for Carr maybe to go for the home run ball and uh, try to expose oh, he'll, it. He'll hit them down the field. The Eagles, I love this. The Eagles have the worst, I said this this summer, they have the worst linebacking core in all football. They have one of the worst linebacking cores in all of football. And, and, and you remember in the summer they said they were going, they had extra linebackers they were going to trade. What a joke that was, right? <laughs> it's like the Ravens have extra running backs, right? The Ravens have a bunch of running backs you picked up off the scrap heap, and then of course you know somebody leaks it to a to some service and says, "Oh, the Raiders, the Ravens are getting a ton of phone calls on running backs." No, you're not. You're not getting. Nobody wants your running backs. Are you kidding? <laughs> Like, give me a break. That was just an advertisement. That's the billboard on the sign when, you, when you're going on the parkway. Like, you know, please call us. We'll, we'll dump one of these backs to you. It's the same thing with the Eagles. So we have extra linebacker. No, you don't. You don't have a linebacker. You have no extra linebacker. You don't have one. It's such a comedy when you read that. It's such a comedy. It's like the opposite of Penn State. Linebacker, you. The Eagles, oh, no, we, we don't we do not specialize in linebackers. Alex Singleton, I do like. By the way, Lane Johnson is back two-week absence, as Mike mentioned. The reason he was gone was to address his mental health. So uh, he said, depression, anxiety, things I've dealt with. If you're reading this and struggling, please know that you're not alone. Good news for the Eagles and good news for Lane Johnson. Bears and the Buccaneers. Chicago is three and three. The Buccaneers are five and one. The Bucs look great against the Eagles. Again, Brady doing Brady things. Gronkowski's still questionable. Richard Sherman is doubtful. But the first thing is a 12.5 point spread in favor of the Bucs. I'm curious what your numbers say, Mike. That line feels, listen, I think the Bucs win. I think they win by a touchdown. 12.5 feels a little large. What do you think? Well, it, it, to me, it is. I mean, I had it as a, a seven and a half point game, but my numbers, I mean, last week, my numbers were nine and five. The week before that, they were 12 and four. And one of the areas after six weeks, when I break down my analysis of the numbers, I haven't been able to hit on these is the, you know, like I've missed on the Giants two weeks in a row now because my number said that was a good play. I think the difference between good and great doesn't show up in my numbers. 
I think like this week, I have the line for the Houston game, the Houston Arizona game. I have it at 17 and a half. It's at 18 and a half. My numbers kind of verify that. But for the most part, that they really haven't, like I've had Washington, I should have taken Washington the last three weeks, you know, and I would have been wrong on all of them because my numbers said that. And, you know, I think you got to be really careful. I think here's the problem when I break this game down. You know, you got a rookie quarterback, you got Todd Bowles. He's going to attack all these Matt Nagy protections and he's going to do a good job of it. And the one strength that the Bears had is their ability to run the football the last two weeks. They can run the ball. They ran it on Green Bay. They ran it on Las Vegas. They're not going to run the ball in Tampa. They're not going to run the ball. And now Chicago goes on the road. Bad lines don't travel. Now, you know, can they stop them? Can can they put pressure on Brady? They beat Brady last year in Chicago. This is a different game. I think if if Floyd does, if, excuse me, if Robert Quinn doesn't play, he's on COVID list. That could be a challenge. Uh, I, I I lean towards taking. I know it's a big spread, but my numbers have said this. I mean, let, Miami went in there and it was a ten point spread. My numbers said take Miami. I was wrong. I I I see this. The lines opened at thirteen. It's slightly ticked down, but I don't like it. Rookie quarterback against Todd Bowles. I don't like it. I don't like Bill Lazor versus Todd Bowles. I don't like Matt Nagy versus Todd Bowles. I don't I don't like Brady versus this I mean they'll score 27 points there's no doubt the Packers scored 24 in Chicago Tampa's going to score 27 28 in Tampa the question you have to ask as a better is do you think the Bucks do you think the Bears can score 14 can they close that gap that's the question and the biggest concern I have you mentioned Todd Bowles versus Justin Fields Fields has a 39% completion percentage zero touchdowns and two picks when he faces the blitz you know who likes to blitz Tampa Bay they blitz on 37% of dropbacks that's the second highest in the NFL that's where I think it could be a really long day Mike if they put pressure on Fields which they will do it's going to be tough to score points yeah no doubt and that's where the game is and that's where you have to break the game down think it through in your head how's the game going to go Bucks score 31 can can the Bears score 17? You cover. You know? Bucks score 30. Can the Bears score, you know, can the Bears score 17? You don't cover. And the Buccaneers defense, by the way, they've allowed the fewest rushing yards in the NFL through six games. So, and that by the way, that's in the last 20 seasons, the fewest rushing yards, 329. So locked down when it comes to stopping the running game. And then they put pressure on a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks 0-9 versus Tom Brady since 2014. The last rookie quarterback to defeat Brady was New York Jet Geno Smith back in 2013. So tall task there for Justin Fields. Those are the games. Let's get to the mailbag. As always, send us your mailbag questions to the GM Shuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is Jacob from Denmark. Love the fact that the great Dane is listening. As a Patriots fan, we've always said, in Bill, we trust. However, I'm starting to lose faith. Wow. Has today's NFL passed by Coach Belichick's scheme and culture? Insisting on playing with 250-pound linebackers. The pass rushers waiting the first two to three seconds to play the run. The inability to draft and develop DBs, wide receivers, and running backs, just name a few issues. Mike, please talk me off the ledge. Well, I mean, look, you, you could be four and two. You wouldn't. We wouldn't be having this conversation if the quarterback doesn't get the ball tipped against the Bucks, and if the quarterback throws the ball to Kendrick Bourne on an in-cut, which was the play called. I mean, you're playing with a rookie quarterback. Look, I, I, I think they chose to play a style of defense against the Cowboys that held the Cowboys down for the most part. You know, I mean, do I think it's? Do I think they're slow on defense? I think there's no doubt they need to get faster on defense. I think Hightower has seen his better days. There's no denying that. I think that Kyle Van Noy and Hightower and Collins, you're kind of not fast enough on defense. And 
they certainly could use some help at corner. You know, J.C. Jackson got his hands on four balls. They only touched eight balls uh, against the, the Cowboys. I think there's certainly room for improvement. But I think, you know, this is a transitional year for them. I think they, can, they could be four and two. I think they'll get better as this year goes on. I mean, their rookie quarterback is getting better. He still makes mistakes. I think you got to look at the whole thing. You know, people said he should have gone for it on fourth down. I agree. I think in the overtime game, he should have gone for it on fourth down because I don't think he wasn't going to stop him. I think he's going to have to eventually get some confidence that the quarterback can make decisions under pressure. And so far, you know, that hasn't happened. You know, third down, didn't make the right throw. Third down, gets a ball tipped. I think you got, he's going to have to build his confidence in practice. I think he's got to let that go. I think he's going to have to say, look, we can't stop Dallas. We're going to win the game right here. All right, that's when it comes to the New England Patriots. And thank you, as always, for your questions. Go ahead, uh, like I said, on Instagram or Twitter. You can always hit us up. The Pop Culture Minute. You were excited, Mike, about this latest book you're reading. Stevie Van Zant. you finished that. The audio book in particular you said was fantastic. And now you've got Take the Cannoli, Leave the Gun. Uh, it's so good. It, this is the epic story of the making of The Godfather. So basically what the guy has done, he's taken all the books and he's used them as as his point of reference. And he's taken you through every single stage of the book and the fascinating life of Mario Puzo, the writer, which was really, really fascinating. I mean, this is a guy who's constantly in debt, has an eating disorder, you know, he's shoving food, always, always on the book, always on the take. But, you know, what I didn't realize as, as I'm reading this book is Puzo used his mother's voice for Vito Corleone. And some of the stories his mother told him about, you know, about literally living in a tenant building in, in Harlem. They lived in the Italian section of Harlem called Hell's Kitchen. Literally in their apartment, some guy knocked on the window and left a bunch of guns. Literally. That, that, so that was part of it. Literally, the guy paid him back by saying, Did, would you like a rug? And, and the wife said, yeah, and took one of the sons with him to go rob a rug. And a cop showed up at the door. Literally, Puzo took these real-life experiences and put them in the movie. It's just fascinating. And, and Puzo's fascinating on his Olympic uh, portable typewriter that basically he writes The Godfather and doesn't really even edit it. He's had enough of it. He's got four credit cards that he can't really afford to pay off. And he says, screw it. I'm going to Italy. I want to take my family on a vacation. And, you know, he uses these credit cards. He bribes the, the girl at the ticket counter to get six first-class tickets and, and flies Air Italia over to Italy. Of course, you know, the, she took the $200 cash. This is in 67, 68. And he's over there spending money left and right in Italy, comes back. He's eight grand in debt and just figures out he'll pay for it somehow, some way. I mean, the guy was unbelievable, unbelievable how things just kind of went in, you know, he wanted to be a writer, couldn't sell any books. He had his brother, AD, his brother basically was loaning him money and, and his and has said, and if I ever make any money, 10% of whatever I make, I'll give to you. And so when he got, when he, when he sold the paperback rights to the Godfather for 420 or $410,000, a record at the time, he gave his brother 10% of that money. <laughs> That's a good brother. Cause you can sell brothers. you be like, Hey, you know, I borrowed 10 grand from it. Here's your 10 grand back. But it's like, no, no, this is 10 grand plus interest. This is the profits that I made off this killing. It's fascinating. Cause you're right. A lot of the Godfather stories are about the casting of Pacino, who famously the Paramount executives did not want. Coppola did want him. He was struggling at first and they had the Salazzo scene and go, okay, Al can stay. He's great. Just the fact that Brandon one set the clowning around with him and Duvall, the other actors, but Puzo's where it all 
all starts. Like Coppola is a genius for bringing it to the screen, but to your point, it all has to start with the written page. And the fact that the, the, the famous axiom of write what you know, that's what Puzo was doing. That's very cool. It really is. And, and, and when they wrote the screenplay together, you know, it was fascinating. But I think where, where Coppola was brilliant, Coppola was able to, what Coppola told the studio was simply this. He said, look, the problem with all these movies, so Robert Evans, when he first went to Paramount, they produced a, a bad a mob movie. Nobody really wanted mob movies, right? And what, what Coppola basically said was, the reason mob movies are struggling is because we're having different ethnicities plays Italians. This has got to be a movie of nothing but Italians. Italian actors, Italian directors, it's got to be that. It's got to be the authenticity of, of what's happening. And I think that that's what sold it. You know, I mean, Richard Castellano, the guy who played Clemenza, he had libs, leave the gun, take the cannoli. He had libs that. That wasn't even written. <laughs> it's one of the greatest, of the greatest lines, lines of all time. It's, it's ad lib. But, it, you know, I think that's really what, what happens. That's amazing. And you're right about the, the fact that the ethnic actors, like the executives are saying, no, no, Pacino looks too Italian. And like, what are you talking about? It's a movie about Italian gangsters. Like, no, what about Ryan O'Neill? What about Robert Redford? Like, no, no, no. Al looks like Sicilian. They wanted Robert Redford. They did. They wanted Robert Redford to play him. That's who they wanted. I mean, you know, it's like, and 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 he fought it tooth and nail. You know, Burt Lancaster was trying to buy the rights to The Godfather. He was his production company was trying to buy the rights so he could play Vito Corleone. <laughs> I love Burt Lancaster, but I can't imagine his video. I mean, he'd be great, but I mean, Brando's Brando. Come on, it's iconic at this point. But the idea, and then again, Redford, the natural. Who doesn't love uh, Butch Cassidy or The Sting? But him is Michael Corleone. Come on, give me a break. Thank God Coppola fought tooth and nail. Uh, it sounds like an awesome book. I saw The Last Duel, new film in theaters. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Their first script they've written together since Goodwill Hunting, and they both star in the film. It's about a bunch of knights back in the day. And the first section of the movie is Matt Damon's version of the truth. Then it's Adam Driver, who plays his rival. And the third and best section of the movie is the truth according to Jodie Comer's character. Now, I mentioned her, Mike, specifically for you, because I know you're a big fan of Killing Eve. When you go into a movie directed by Ridley Scott, who did Gladiator, when you've got Ben Affleck in a supporting role, you've got Matt Damon starring, Adam Driver, big stars, and I'm telling you, the best part of the film was Jodie Comer. The final third of the movie was fabulous. She walked away with the movie. I really, really enjoyed it. She's good. Hofstra graduate. I mean, you gotta, gotta love it. Yep. <laughs> yes. Oxford graduate. Bring it all full circle. All right. Thanks so much for checking out the GM Shuffle. We'll talk to you all on Monday.